1: A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
0: Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Recruiting talk, recruiting talk, recruiting talk. That's what it is right here on Gators Breakdown. Wow, that's the hot topic in helping me right here with this episode. We'll get it going show everybody involved will miles from Reed and reaction and he is back bill sykes uh, hopping on right here on gators breakdown with hey look don't get me wrong even before all this roller coaster crazy of news we had already scheduled this with bill then we were waiting on the Jade rashada commitment and then that got delayed and then we know the storyline with that, so we finally get back around uh, to this. We've had it in the works for about three weeks now, so we finally get around to it uh, there, and probably even more recruiting storyline, guys than we, <laughs> we thought when we first got together and, and planned this episode. So, uh, Will, Bill, thanks for uh, hopping on, and uh, man, uh, I've tweeted it out a lot lately. the The, the roller coaster gif i call it gif not jif by the way so that, that's that's my that's my, my preference i don't care if it's right or wrong but the roller coaster gif out there on twitter and guys that's exactly what it has been uh this has been probably one of the craziest weeks of gator recruiting i can ever remember.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's been it's been interesting, man. You went on vacation. We all expected it to happen <laughs> while you were gone. Didn't expect it to happen when you got back, buddy. But uh, the minute you got back, the uh, shots started firing from all directions. And, uh, you know, enough that Napier had to release sort of a, a statement of confidence or whatever that was the other day. So. They say
0: it was planned before. You can believe that if you want.
1: <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, and, you know, like you compared it to a roller coaster – and this is kind of at that point where all spring we've been kind of going up the hill, you know, and it's clicking and clacking and, you know, something's coming and boom, it just let loose. And, and so there's some good news there's some bad news, but the ride is now in full swing and there's definitely some ups and downs left in, in to go here, but things are finally starting to take shape. But.
0: Yeah, we'll get into it. Uh, we'll take a kind of overall look at a lot of the recruiting news recently. Um, and then we'll kind of dive into, we'll go in specific, more quarterback talk there since that was the big, big story with Jaden to commit to Miami uh, over, over the weekend. And also we'll get into a little bit of just football talk. Uh, Demarcus Bowman transferring from Florida to UCF. So we'll get into some football talk. We'll definitely hit more football talk starting heavy, heavy next week. It, uh, well, it'll, be, it'll be preseason magazine time. Uh, we finally get around to that after recruiting news has just kind of been a whirlwind Uh, we finally get to the uh, preseason magazine kind of portion of our year you know we've done those for a while there kind of dive into those so some football talk coming up uh, next week on Gators Breakdown but uh, yeah lots to get into uh, right here and you know just we're just going to follow the storylines and we'll see where this goes we're going to have a pretty good conversation right here but Everybody, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. The countdown to 10,000 subscribers is on. Let's get that before the season. Hit that subscribe button. It really, really helps us out. Leave a comment. Leave a comment there. Uh, All your support out there really helps Gators Breakdown grow. Check us out at the home of Gators Breakdown, news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Uh, and shout out to uh, Cody Sprague yesterday, uh, late night episode last night, after Sharif Denson uh, committed to the Gators uh, last night. Cody Sprague hopped into the YouTube chat. I didn't get to it during the episode, but just wanted to give a go Gators out there. So, Cody, man, uh, thanks for hopping on late last night. There's your, uh go Gators back. So, that's where you want to start. I mean, recent recruiting news, um, I think... I'll throw out the first topic. We can go from there. But, you know, three recent commits there for the Gators uh, with Nixon and Denson and Gavin Hill. That's the three highest commits in the Gators class right now. So good for the Gators, you know, to to get those three guys in the fold. And as I said, the news was uh, up and down uh, the, the last few days. But the last three for the Gators, You really got to pinpoint and look at, okay, you know, we've seen the start to the class. Look, I think we could even go back, if we want to, to what? February signing day when Florida had missed on some targets and probably filled in with some guys uh, in that that three-star range. This class kind of started out the same way until Najee Harris popped uh, about a month and a half ago. And then the recent commits, the three recent commits are really headlining Florida's class right now
1: go
2: ahead will yeah i mean uh, so i don't yes it's awesome that there's three guys here nixon denson and hill who are like you mentioned the highest rated guys in the class 195 206 and 259 though those aren't can't miss guys right i mean those aren't the top 15 top 30 guys we talk about all the time um cornerback not a giant area of need especially considering you know Kamadi mclean's still out there and that's sort of the guy i think we're looking at isaiah nixon at edge Certainly on the defensive line and the Gavin Hill at defensive line, that's a position of need. And we've seen that with this class, right, that they've filled up with Najee Harris, with Bryce Lovett, with Tommy Kinsler. They've really targeted both the offensive and the defensive lines here, at least early. So, you know, again, I, I think it, it's, it's interesting because whenever you criticize recruiting, people think that you're saying Florida doesn't have any good players. That's not what we're saying. I think these, this is, these are solid players. But I think when you compare it to, say, Alabama's class right now where they only have five commits but all five of them are top 300. And I think like four of them are top 100. Um, you know, there's a difference in those classes. And that's just the reality.
1: Yeah, and we okay, first of all, I'm on the nature train. Um, I know at this point, in in Mullen's tenure, we were already hearing all kinds of bad things. And uh, right now, there's a lot going on. And uh, there's definitely some concerns, there's definitely some adversity, there's definitely some change that they're going to have to adapt to. Uh, but I'm not hearing anything that really concerns me from Napier's end. However, when we look at the trajectory of this class, when Will and Dave and I, when we talk with other people, we're looking at how this is likely to shape up. um, There's an absence of elite players right now. There's certainly some still on the board. There's a long way to go. It can shape up, but I'm really concerned. And while I really like these players that they're adding, these are guys kind of like Will said, these are really good players. the kind of players you want to see in Florida's class are just not the kind you want to headline. That doesn't mean they can't be the next great player uh, because when you talk about players of um, Nixon Isaiah Nixon's range in that 195 range, every time you sign one of those, the expected return on an SEC average is about .18 all SEC seasons. So for every five of those guys you sign in that range, you're going to get one season of all SEC play. But when you talk about the guys that uh, these recruiting bullies are signing, the guys in the top 50, well, then it jumps up to .48 uh, all SEC season. So you sign two guys and get one season back. So you, you got to have that. It's just a numbers game. You've got to build with these elite players because they just give you more return on the investment for dedicating a slot to them. And, and right now the board's looking a little thin with those type of players. Uh, but like Will said, there are a lot of good players, and some of those will break the mold. It's just how many.
0: Yeah, I think that's the, that's the timeline there. Talking about, you know, the, the concern for recruiting where it would come in for I think all of us is, you know, where do, where do Florida's targets start going? And where do the top targets start going? And, you know, that's where uh, concern and worry w- 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 would start. And we've seen a little bit of that, you know, at, at the cornerback position with A.J. Harris and Tony Mitchell. Uh, now, you know, those guys were always on the board. But, you know, for us Gator fans, we're always looking at Carmine McLean uh, up, up there anyway. So he's still on the board. Uh, one position uh, there that you compare with Sheree. Denson, you know that was kind of my thought going into this class. Anyway, I thought it would be Sharif Denson and one of those five-star guys. More than likely, McLean having the inside edge on, uh, you know, just the the in-state guy uh, there for, for for Florida and gr- and growing up a Gator fan. So Florida, you know, Florida has to nail that one uh, when you look at it. But you know, Will brought up something too. You know, Florida has hit the trenches. Hard uh, there for, for for this class took a little bit of a hit with Kearney out of Jacksonville uh, or Orange Park there uh, committing to FSU he would have been by you know one, one he would have been the best offensive lineman Florida would have would have had in the class that he committed to Florida off of his visit uh, th- 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 this past weekend but you know we'll bring it up um, you know the trench the trenches uh, being there especially much better as far as star ranking and average goes on the defensive side. Uh, more so than the offensive side, uh, being with Najee Harris uh, headlining the offensive line class. But uh, one more thing uh, I think we can start pointing to. Bill, I know this is something you're working on. We've talked about it. Um, So at least strategy-wise, you can start pointing to some positives positives, Florida's looking at. We'll mention the trenches as far as numbers go. That's coming up for Florida right now. IMG, Florida hit that last cycle finally, hit it again this cycle with, with, with Najee Harris, And, guys, uh, I'll bring it up. Eight and a nine recruits now for Florida are from the state of Florida. So, I know if if there's going to be things that, okay, maybe it's not a top three class, maybe it's not a top five class, then we're going to have to kind of move down the list. What benchmarks are Florida hitting? There are a few out there right now.
1: There are, but it all just is predicated on landing some of these elite Florida talents. Because right now, when you look – Uh, at Florida's top 10 recruits. I mean, Florida hasn't landed three of the top, in-state top 10 since 2010. Uh, It's been that long, and they've hovered anywhere from one to two, I think once or twice zero. Uh, But right now, McLean's the number one player in the state. And even when you adjust it down for IMG guys that are out of state, um, you've got Baxter that's at 12, um, and he would would still make that top 10 when you add the four IMG kids from out of state. Malik Bryant's at 14, but – if you don't land uh, McLean really and Baxter, it's going to be hard to show that you're really making a dent into the Florida market in terms of, of the best talent. They've really got to get both of those guys, or maybe Malik Bryan instead of Baxter or whatever, because I know Webb's in play, very quality back out of Trinity Christian in Jacksonville. Um, but that that is a little bit of a concern to me, uh, and particularly an offensive line when you've got, uh Malagoa, who I, I know he's out of state IMG kid but when you go down the list of the, the out of state IMG kids they're not all going to home state schools Miami is in on a ton of them uh you got Lucas Simmons out of Clearwater that should be a, a U.S friendly area he's you know 13th best tackle in the country looks like FSU or USC for him right now you got Rod Kearney out of Clay, uh, Duval County no he was at Clay County North Park yeah just committed to FSU they really needed that guy uh they got Peyton Kirkland in Orlando that's not a done deal and you got Clay Whedon, who's a really quality offensive lineman out of Tampa, 21st interior offensive line in of the country, just committed to Michigan State. And I, I got to be honest, I'm a little concerned about that. I mean, they, you dedicated um, two of your primary staff spots to offensive line coaches. I've been singing the praises of that all spring. I uh, got several secondary staff guys. Right now, Will, I'll let you tell me do you see a market difference in the projected offensive line class from what we've seen in the last four years?
2: No, I mean, I don't see a market difference in the class. <laughs> than we have
1: the last four
0: years. Yeah, we'll, will we'll said there. will said that in his article, by the way. If you guys, if you, if, you, if you haven't uh, read it yet, but uh, I did yeah. read it, yeah, and I
1: thought it was fair. And I, look, I, I'm excited about Napier again, and I think this. Maybe this nil thing gets figured out. I'm not, you know, trying to throw shade on anybody, anybody in the program, any aspect. I know there's a lot of people working hard to figure this out. I'm just telling you that it looks like it might take a little more time than we thought, and that is concerning.
2: Absolutely, because we know, I mean, heck, you've written repeatedly, Bill, about, you know, the bump class, what you need in that bump class to win SEC championships, to win national championships, which these days is sort of the same thing. But, you know, you win win SEC championships by having a second class B a significant step up from that transition class. And the problem that we're running into right now is this class looks pretty much in line with the classes that Mullins had. Now, that doesn't mean if all of a sudden you get Carmody McLean and you flip Keon Keeley from Notre Dame and, you know, Mauioga ends up coming from IMG. Well, now things look a little bit different because of the guys you've brought in. But to your point, if you look at the top 20 or top 25 in the state of Florida, Ohio State, texas uh-huh. alabama and georgia are the teams that are dominating that list and yes if florida gets Carmani McLean, they get the number one guy in the in the country or number one guy in the state but they haven't gotten him to commit yet, right? So, so that's one of those things where until you have that down on paper, you're still sort of sitting there because I think we all thought that Jaden Rashado was was a heavy, heavy Florida lean and then all of a sudden he ends up we going dare to not Miami. speak so, his name. Yeah, wow. Well, so <laughs> so that's the, <laughs> the thing, right? I mean, I, I remember I remember Dave, you and I did a did a whole thing on all the guys in the state of Florida. And Napier, if he signed twenty five guys of his choosing within hundred and fifty miles of yeah. Gainesville he was going to have a top three class. So, so what that, I mean, based on historical averages uh-huh. and, you know, it was going to be something like four or five star kids and like, you know, 18 four star guys, the average rating was going to be like 94.5 or something like that. If you just had 25 guys and he picked his 25 guys from 150 mile radius of Gainesville. Well, I mean, the reality is, is that's what you have to do, right? You have to lock down that area of the state. And, you know, to your point, Bill, that hasn't happened yet. Now, you know, again, I think it's, this has always been one of those where one of the issues that we had with Mullen is that the process never seemed to be sound. And so when you got poor results, you said, okay, well, not only are we getting results that are sub-elite, but we're also not seeing a process that turns that around. I think a lot of what we've heard about Napier coming in and putting his process in place gives us some confidence that he's going to be able to do that. At the same time, I think we all, at least I, thought that process was going to take place this class and that we were going to see it this class and that, you know, the the organization was going to be ready for NIL for for a lot of different reasons, one of which is that Florida has one of the largest booster bases in the country, which means that funds shouldn't be a problem. But all of that being said, I think there's definitely a process and an organization in place. The question is, is, is it optimized to bring home the return that you need in the state of Florida? And as of right now, the answer is no. Now, again, I think one of the things that's a danger. And in fact, when I look back at some of the stuff I wrote about Mullen, I think I was a little bit wrong in terms of jumping on being critical in June. Because if you go back and look at historical classes, if I looked at if I looked at Nick Saban's bump class back in what 2007, 2008, whenever that was, if I go back and look at his, his bump class was right around this rating in June. And then all of a sudden, he started bringing in elite level guys, and he wound up with a top three class in that second year. But are those elite guys leaning Florida? Are they still out there? Do, you know, Are the NIL dollars available for those guys? All those are questions. I think we'll have the answers come around August or September. Um, but at the same time, I'd rather be in some other team's positions than Florida's position right now if you asked me, where are you in terms of your overall rankings?
0: Well, you bring up a good point there too. You talk about questions, talk about answers, and look, there's uh, there's a lot of questions that are <laughs> flying out uh, there right now. You know, why is Florida not getting Roger Kearney? Why is Florida not getting Jane Rashada? Why is Florida? Uh, not getting, uh, you know, Pup Howard out of Jacksonville uh, who committed to South Carolina and out of state school. You know, so, uh, you know, I don't think there's a, uh, there, there's no easy answers uh, right now, especially this early in the process for Billy Napier. Uh, but I don't I don't I don't know what the answers are. Everybody's going to point to NIL. Everybody's going to point to admin or booster uh, uh, issues, quote unquote. We're not going to bury our head in the sand money bag issues. I mean, that's always been an an issue recruiting uh, there. So, I mean, there's just, there's different angles. There's different things to point to. We're not going to have those answers right now. I don't, and I don't know if those answers are ever really going to be that clear. I think everybody wants to point to whatever kind of fits their narrative uh, with those issues. uh, But, you know, I I know a lot of people are looking for answers right now. I just don't think the answers are out there uh, as far as uh, the storylines go uh, for Florida. So, um. anything else Bill did you want to hop in right there a- know, after Will
1: as far as general recruiting there the, the one thing that I think concerns me a little bit it just kind of Will hit on it at first was just the, the lack of um, balance between offense and defense and we know that's been a lingering issue for the program um, it's just when I look across the board right now um, I'm worried about how many are the lack of positional top 10 recruits I see in offense I mean there's only you have know, baxter that's involved they could land him they could land webb um and then eugene wilson i believe is the number 10 athlete or something like that on the composite but even if they land all three of those it would give them a, a rolling four-year total of four signed in the last four years well last year's total was or the current total is three so you're only improving that by one and that's a historic low when you consider that in 2000 Nine, they had signed 17 in in the previous four years. And to me, the combination of that and the unsettled nature of the quarterback position, it worries me because Napier's already swimming upstream a little bit uh, philosophically against the conference because he wants to have this uh, zone run-based offense and throw over the top, uh, whereas a lot of the teams that are winning the conference right now are wide open. They're airing it out, just enormous numbers, historic numbers. So hopefully we'll see that rectify itself down the stretch. But that is a key. If you are okay with focusing on just the objective facts down the stretch, watch top 10 off or positional top 10 offensive prospects, because right now that needs to get better. Mother's day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones. Blue Nile has something she'll adore.
0: as I said, we'll start wide there. There's, you know, wills, you guys have heard me on Gators breakdown the last, what, I think two or three days. So <laughs> you, you've got a lot of my viewpoints uh, out there on Twitter as well. Uh, Gators breakdown plus uh, discord uh, kind of, so there's a overall look and look even more of kind of, well, well, there are a couple things I want to go to in your article before we kind of dial, dial into our, our quarterback recruiting um, and, and that storyline, but quote there, Will, you know, but, you know, we do need to deal with reality when it comes to recruiting situation, and that reality is that while there is still time for Napier to put together an elite level class, the time is starting to wane, and until things really start going, the noise is going to stay in the, in the system until kickoff in in September. So yeah, that's just kind of you know kind of rehashing something you, you said here, Will. Uh, you know, but these summer months kind of uh, important. We get a really good gauge uh, of where Florida is going to be uh, when they kick the ball off in in September. Uh, but well, you yeah, know, one more time, Will. Yeah. One more from the article. I titled this article with a question about whether it's time for patience or time for panic. A look at stats say that particular question is more nuanced one than maybe we would like. Why would you why why did you say in your article that it's there's a lot of nuance uh, in the question of patience or panic for Florida recruiting right now?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's because in many ways Napier has a PR problem. Which is, and it's not a, it's not his entire doing. I mean, he's coming in after two straight administrations who struggled to recruit, and so you know the people who um, looked at Jim McElwain and said he's going to be able to win with top ten, top fifteen classes, and you know defended him have sort of come over to the side of we need elite players, and the people who defended Dan Mullen and his tenth to fifteenth ranked recruiting classes and said. We can win with those with an elite X's and O's coach. Well, they've now sort of come over to the side of we need elite talent to <laughs> compete with Alabama and Georgia. And so and so Napier comes in and he says this is a talent acquisition business. And the minute he said those words, he set an expectation that he understood the problem that was at hand and that he was going to solve it. And so, you know, we, we get to a point where I'm looking at it right now and I'm saying you haven't solved that problem yet. Doesn't mean there's not time to solve it this cycle. It doesn't, but I think it's gonna be really, really difficult with the guys who are left on the board and the guys they already have in their class to get into that top three, top four, top five. You're really gonna be stretching it to get to sixth or seventh. Is that good enough? No, I don't think so. So but is if you get to sixth or seventh with a couple of elite level guys in the class, are you recruiting better than Mullen? Yeah. So the reason it's nuanced is is showing progress good enough? Or is the expectation that recruiters recruit and you should be recruiting with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban in year two? And if you're not, then you're never going to get to that level. I think there's quite a bit of evidence that suggests that might be the case. And so that's why it's nuanced, right? You hope that things will be able to turn around. It's not like Napier's going anywhere, right? But at the same time, um, you know, the, the problem statement at Florida was very clear when Billy Napier got brought in. The reason Dan Mullen was gone, yes, things fell apart last year. But the reason Dan Mullen was gone is because there wasn't hope around the program that's associated with a team that's recruiting at a very, very high level. Napier is expected to bring that hope. And until he does, then that's going to be the question. That's going to be the monkey on his back. And that's going to be the, the prevailing narrative. So the noise in the system isn't necessarily Napier's fault, at least not altogether but it's a culmination of really the last decade of Gator football where, you know, we're essentially the Auburn of the sec East at this point in comparison to Auburn and Alabama over in the West. Right. And does Auburn come up and bite Alabama every once in a while? Yeah. Is that good enough for Auburn fans? (laughs) Not really, by the way, they've treated Brian Arson over the last year or so. And you know, that's sort of the issue that you run into with Florida as well. So again, I, I, one of the things I think I made a mistake back in 2018 was essentially saying Mullen wasn't going to get the job done in June. Now, it turned out that was true, but I think that was too early. I think we still have a couple of months before we can say that definitively about Napier. But he can't bring in any more three-star prospects and expect us to sit here and go, oh, well, that's fine. We'll just make it up because what it ends up being, meaning is you have to hit on everyone to get those elite level guys in. And, and that's where he's at. Like He can maybe miss on one more elite prospect he's going after and get into that six or seven range. But if he brings in another three-star guy, you're sort of sitting at that place where it's just not going to be possible to get a class that's much higher than Dan Mullen got in year two. And the, the expectation when uh, Billy Napier was brought in is that that portion of the program was going to be
1: upgraded.
0: Hey, could I add on to that? Um, yeah, Bill, and before you do, because there's something I want to go into there, because you've been on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord, and that goes a little bit to what Will said, is, you know, not... not Neighbor's not doing... Uh, not of his own doing of some of the... I guess, maybe even fan reaction up until that point, because it's been a PTSD from Dan Muller recruiting, from Jim McElwain recruiting, and that's where a lot of the... I guess, feedback and concern and all that comes from, because, you know, you, we have heard it uh, there on, on that side of it. Uh, so look, there's not a, maybe even sometimes not a lot of hope because they don't want to get their hope up because of what happened <laughs> with Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain.
1: Hey, I feel the same way, but I, you know, when when I came after Mullen and when I came over Jim McElwain, I would just like to reiterate as much as people accuse me of just being negative or or whatever there were real reasons i was doing that there were you guys wouldn't believe even today some of the things people were telling me that were (laughs) on behind the scenes and so you know i was trying i was willing to kind of charge into the horde or whatever to tell people but and look i'm not suggesting that i'm like super inside man and hearing everything if you've got reasons where you're saying hey there are some very concerning things that napier's doing that's fine. I want to be objective, and I'm willing to dialogue with anybody about that. Or, and I'm not going to criticize anyone for being either positive or negative. I, I do think people need to. I'm not going to tell you to calm down. I'm not going to tell you not to be concerned. But let's be fair. And so, unless there's a, an objective, factual-based reason to assign blame to anybody involved, yep, then let's hold off till we get those facts. Um, but then again, that doesn't mean that we don't call this what it is. And we're at a point where we need to see some improvement. The trajectory in the numbers is concerning. It's certainly not definitive. Uh, it's not over, but it, it is time to start discussing at this point and say, hey, we're at that critical moment. It's about to go one way or another.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not for a lack of trying. It's not for a lack of organization. I mean, we we have all heard too much about that side of it. And I yeah, think that's... Not I, Darth
1: I, Vader costume camping <laughs> right. out in California except for Rashada, which is reasonable. Yeah, you know? I mean,
0: right, and I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes in because we know things are different. Things are, a different approach is being taken. And as kind of you, we've laid out here, the results so far aren't equating to an improved recruiting staff, an army of a staff, a whole lot better organization. Um, we're not going to hide behind that fact. It is a lot better <laughs> as far as that goes. Oh, yeah. But, but here's, here's my concern though. Yeah. Uh, my, num- my number one concern
1: above all else right now relates to timing. And there's three reasons, and I'll make this quick. One, we've documented well about the bump class this is this is the golden hour to recruit and with 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 immunity um number two um there's one shot to make a first impression between the fans and the Gator collective and these efforts to crowdsource this funding and I just hate it that they're experiencing adversity right now that I've had several people that are like ah, this isn't when I signed up I'm like hey man invest you know stay the course if you believe in that, don't, don't let this get you down. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. We gotta see how this goes. But number three, this is essentially a game of amassing clusters of elite talent. Okay. And I've written about this at Will Site how every champion has that one kicker class that gives them at least three, but sometimes four, cons- not cons- I'm sorry, simultaneous elite all SEC performances. You need that core. And often, most of the time, those are accompanied with an adjacent class kicking in a couple, sometimes a class on either side of them. The problem is you have to play the numbers game, and it all comes back to loading up and getting those high percentage raffle tickets that are the elite players. And the more of those you get, the more chance you have to pop on on multiple players like that. But in this class of 2023, these guys are the best shot to win that elite class now, and they're not going to be – fully emerging until at least their junior year. We've done the math on that too. And so you're talking about year 4 for Billy Napier. But if this class falls short and we're saying well next year is the year to break through in recruiting, now that that talent cluster is most likely to come from a from a class that won't even be juniors until his 5th season. So timing begins to become a real tightrope walk. And it starts to you start saying, well, wait a minute, how is he going to hang on until then? However, if he does improve the process like we're talking about, if he starts to get up into that six, seven, eight range, we see the fruits develop. We see some life on the field and the process looks good. Then maybe he does get years five and six, even if he hasn't won the championship. Maybe he can be one of those rare exceptions to the rule of having to win in the first three years to win in the conference. That is so I'm very concerned about it. But that doesn't mean it's impossible. I just I would really like to see him break through this year, for that reason.
2: Well, and I I want to add one thing there, which is that you know if you look at um, Jimbo Fisher, who's probably the best example of somebody who recruited at maybe this level. So he was seventeenth his transition year, and then jumped up to fifth, and then sixth, and then ninth, and then obviously this last sliced bread class that was first. Um, you know, and he's gone nine and four, eight and five, nine and one, eight and four and if so really granted the west is a little bit more difficult than the east but his pedigree at florida state and the fact that they promised him like 75 million dollars guaranteed but both of those things are why jimbo fisher still has everybody on board going into the fifth year along with that elite recruiting class that he just brought in right but that sort of goes to what you're saying bill is that in some ways a na- the national championship and multiple bcs bowls and all that stuff at florida state sets the stage for him to get that time at texas a m And, you know, is that time going to be possible? I mean, you know, everybody was calling for Will Muschamp to be gone after that 2012 season, even though his recruiting was actually pretty decent. Now, unbalanced and other complaints and, you know, didn't know how to pick a quarterback or an offensive coordinator, all that stuff. Um, You know, Jim McElwain gets forced out before or like during the Georgia game there in his third year. And then you got Mullen lasting four. So the idea that somebody who's generally unproven from Louisiana is going to get five years to prove himself is – Nope.
1: Yeah, stay out, Will. Get out
0: of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. We've had that happen a couple of times uh, recently. we we'll have to bring you back in here. Um, I don't know what the issue right there is. But, uh, yeah, that's happened a couple of times there. But, uh, China, there he is. Okay. <laughs> Will, it happened again.
2: Uh, I don't know. Like one hour every two times.
0: I know. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's going on.
1: He'll Anonymous is back trying back to take back. us down, man. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, bunch so of I, stars don't matter, hackers. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: uh, so all of that's just saying that, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think we're all looking at this as a critical juncture and that the timing for the patience of the fan base for what happens on the field is is limited. And so that's, that's one of the reasons why this is so important. And then the other aspect is, and Bill, you've talked about this a lot, is now is the only time you can recruit without anything on the field where someone can say something negative about you. Um, I've done a little bit of work, not not as much as I would have liked, but I've done quite a bit of work on, um, you know, that showing it on the field doesn't necessarily translate into recruiting success. That that first year, if you go out and you go, you know, nine and three versus going six and six, like it doesn't make much of a difference. We're actually seeing that at Texas right now with uh-huh. Sarkeesian, right? I mean, coming off of five and seven season, he's got Arch Manning coming there and a top five class. So the idea that you're going to see a nine and three or a ten and two season translate into elite recruiting. I think it's fool's gold. I think it's going to have to be processed. It's going to have to be built. It's going to have to be patience from everybody in terms of what's on the field. Now, you know, we're just as guilty as anybody of not being all that patient. But that's kind of because we understand what's coming on the back end if you don't deliver here. And uh, you know, again, that doesn't mean that, like you said, Dave. We we've heard plenty to know that things have improved. The question is improvement still doesn't beat alabama and improvement still doesn't beat georgia georgia alabama and a and have their own processes that they've put in place right and it's it's like when people talked about development under mullen i'm like yeah you know kirby smart's trying to make his players better too like mullen may be better at it but maybe not right and and if you have better players to start with, well, that that helps things out. So, um, you know, it's sort of the same thing from a recruiting perspective. It's not as though Nick Saban said, oh, well, Billy Napier's in Gainesville, so I'm just not going to try to recruit people in Florida. In fact, we know that's not true because a bunch of the top 25 in Florida are going to Alabama. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's a critical juncture, and, and hopefully he's able to turn it around because it's going to be difficult to – to To defeat both the noise in the system, but also the noise from all the other programs around if you're trying to turn around recruiting in your third season.
0: Hmm. A lot to take in there. I mean, as I said, there's no easy answers to, 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 to this whole thing All uh, right, now. I think, you know, probably, and Will, I know, going to the, there, yeah, it's not a top three class, not a top five class, so already time to, you know, adjust the timeline for instant success uh, as far as, you know, what history shows of, Getting that bump class in it, like as Bill said, you know, trying to transitioning into, you know, what you can do with that class two, three years from now. Uh, so maybe it, it adjusting as patience is a word. I, I know patience with recruiting right now, and maybe patience with the overall process of the timeline uh, of when Florida will, you know, bear the fruits of success uh, with recruiting. But we know. Yeah, th- th- those results have to come uh, eventually for winning some big-time football games. So, all right, let's go uh, to speed this thing up a little bit. Quarterback recruiting, we know the big storyline, big headline there. Uh, Miami getting the commitment of uh, Jaden Rashada. Uh, and more so, you know, we, when you look at this, look, Florida fans, most what, probably 90, uh, first of all, ones that follow recruiting, still probably 90% didn't know who Jaden Rashada was two months ago. Uh, I I may have known the name, uh, but I didn't know who the kid was uh, until, you know, months, a month and a half ago. Uh, So, but Bill, going through, uh, you you and I talked behind the scenes about, you know, kind of how we were going to approach this. And one one way I want to approach this, look, it's not necessarily losing Jaden Rashada. It's losing, and this might be taking it too far, but maybe your last chance at getting one of those top 10 quarterbacks in this class and how important they are. So it's not Rashada himself and him choosing Miami. Does that hurt? You him to a rival? Yes, that, that, that part of it does sting. But it's more about, you know, the the process of recruiting a quarterback and not losing Jaden Rashada, but losing the chance at bringing a quarterback like that in the class.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need that guy. And and I understand that Napier's offense, maybe they're not going to try to build around the, the – uh, passer and the guy that puts up 4,500 yards in the air, uh, like some of these recent SEC champion quarterbacks have done. Um, But, you know, we're talking about a a recruit that his um, contemporary um, quarterbacks that were ranked similar as of late uh, are actually, when you look all the time at at four-star top 50 quarterbacks, uh, 45% of them have earned either All-American or All-Conference on the draft rate for these players is 53 percent uh got one national championship one SEC with no Heisman trophies but that's mainly because it's kind of weird how these uh players have gone to a lot of awkward schools that you wouldn't expect them to but you know huge names on the list between uh Deshaun Watson Andrew Luck, Lane Gabbert, Will Greer, Jared Stidham, Jake Fromm, uh, Jim Marcus Russell, Brian Brom I mean a lot of success in this list and this is a guy that had a lot of potential um not without concerns um but he he was a potential game changer a a potential five-star um and as we know a five-star quarterback is historically the only alternative to meeting that recruiting minimum of a a top five class in the sec so and like you said there's not many of these guys left out there that it looks like Florida has a reasonable chance with and I would have really liked to have seen him in the class
0: Well, I know um, when when we look at Rashada himself, you're a big proponent of completion percentage and how that translates to uh, college football. And there's a big correlation there of high school completion, completion percentage and how maybe when that guy's in college, <laughs> you're going to see a lot of the same things. So um, I guess we can you know, we, we can zoom in a little bit to, to, to Rashada himself and you know if we do want to look at a bright side there you know go go into a lot of will's analysis there and, and bill even said it too we don't know how this kid's going to turn out it's just the overall history of what a top 10 quarterback can do for a recruiting class for a school it is there but there's also you know a different way to look at it than, you know what what, what did florida miss by jade Rashada pick miami
2: I mean, I think that's always the question, right, is is I, I suspect that quarterbacks are harder to evaluate, but as Bill just stated pretty eloquently, the top-tier guys still are the ones who end up usually delivering. Um, it's the same thing with I Amelieva at Tennessee. Like, I look at his stats and I go, hmm, that's interesting. Like, it's not as good as I would expect it to be for a guy who's ranked as high as he is, and sometimes these guys get ranked based on physical tools. Then again, if you look at a guy like Anthony Richardson, um I'm guessing he was ranked where he was a lot of, in a lot of ways because of his physical tools, not necessarily because of his accuracy. His accuracy jumped between his junior and his senior year, almost 20 percentage points. So Rashada is at 57% completions, 8.7 yards per attempt last year. Not fantastic. Didn't run the ball that much. 25 carries for 193 yards. Um, you know, but again, like you're projecting what that guy's going to do. Is he going to be successful? Is he going to be another Jake Locker? All of that. You know, I would bet that he's going to. He's probably going to be more of a Felipe Franks than he is, uh, you know, a Bryce Young. At the same time, you know, who's your alternative, right? I mean, and that's sort of the thing is when you're looking at your class, you're looking at filling it out. You know, let's look back at Will Muschamp's class, right? There was a lot of criticism, and Bill, you wrote a great article over at Read Reaction earlier this summer, earlier this, uh, I guess, spring, about offensive linemen and just the fact that there weren't any offensive linemen who were signed. So regardless of what their ranking is. The idea that you don't have offensive line depth is not should not have been a surprise to anyone who was looking at the offensive linemen who were being brought in because it was like two and two in the back to back classes after Mullen took or after McElwain, I'm sorry, after Must took over, and then they all of a sudden realized, oh, we need offensive linemen. Can't have the same thing happen at quarterback, right? So the question is, if you miss on this guy, who's the next guy you're going to bring in? How does that impact your class? And is that person going to be as good? And to your point, Bill, I'm not sure there's somebody on the list that you look at and get as excited as you would be about a guy like Rashada.
1: I I think you hit that on the head. There's just not. um, Because what we're really talking about here is either a guy that has a a significantly lower uh, chance of elite success. And remember, that's what they really need here. At, At this position above all others, you can't ever be looking for the guy that says, well, he'll be a good depth piece. That doesn't get you anywhere you need you you have got to keep chasing that next joe burrow deshaun watson guy you, you have to sign and say this is the guy that i think can be that player because a backup quarterback is useless to you i mean i don't say useless but you know what i mean it's not rarely you ever see uh champions champion teams where they even have um, a starting quarterback go out for a week or two and still win the championship it's like less than five or ten percent so you need to have the guy and he was the guy i think on the list at least from a ratings perspective maybe he wasn't that way on their board but if he wasn't that then why were they involved to the very end on this guy why did they zero in on him? um if he comes up to about a 62 to 64 percent completion rate as a senior then you say okay now we've got a guy that's meeting that threshold because he can kind of get up a, another three to five in, in college and be right there in that playoff range. And by the way, they, there's not been a, a quarterback that's led their team to the playoffs in college football since 2017 with a less than 64% completion rate. And since then, they've averaged 68. So, well, you're concerned for the real, just like Anthony Houston made a big jump in high school. That's not impossible. And then he would have the tools, the completion rate, the pedigree, and then you say, you know what, we got a decent shot
0: here. Yeah, that was man, that role that, that recruitment there was uh, I'm telling you, that was the craziest one. one, one of the closest ones I've been to, and one of the craziest ones <laughs> that, that I've been involved in. Yeah, Bill, what you got?
1: Dave, I, I want to add one more thing, and, yeah. and especially because I know that the type of people who listen to this show and, and that there's some people involved in this effort. And... One thing you're going to be hearing from my camp and my team here soon. And one thing I really want to communicate to the people that are helping out with these NIL deals or whatever your role is, we have to change the way we look at the investment in these players. And it starts with this, understand that every single recruit, regardless of ranking, regardless of rating, regardless of the hype, has a better than 50% chance of failure if we're measuring on terms of being an elite player. It's just that is the way the odds are, even the highest-rated guys. But you have to keep chasing the value because even though top 25 players have a less than 50% chance to become an all-SEC caliber player, when they do hit that, they give, typically give you multiple seasons. That's why the players rank one through 25 in the country, even though it's a less than 50% chance of success on a pass-fail ratio. I've expanded my research out to over 3,000 recruits now with the help of my teammate. And they give you a 0.81 all SEC seasons of return per signee. So every time you sign one, the league average... Gives you almost a one to one return because when he does hit, he's usually going to give you two seasons of play. So we've got to stop thinking, I'm afraid this guy's going to be the next Emory Jones and I don't want to invest. We have to think of it as this is what I'm going to invest on a year to year basis and keep filling that position with players of those odds of success. And if you play the numbers game that way, again, it's like buying that yearly raffle ticket that has the 45 percent chance of success. But the payout is almost two to one if you keep chasing that, if you keep filling the roster with those players, you will hit on one. But if you don't, if you pass them up, because we're afraid of the, the alternative, the failure, you're going to end up with a lesser player on the roster who has a severely diminished chance of giving you what you want from that slot.
0: Good look there, Bill, you know, and maybe a, a lot of, as you said, you're researching it there and, you know, different ways to look at it and, you know, maybe gets out there and, um, you know, p- people follow it. I mean <laughs> there might be you know there, there, there's, there's those things out there that that, that can be researched in the, in this form and fashion, uh, and a lot of people will, will start taking notice uh, there. And look I probably should have prefaced the episode with this. Look, this is only evaluating recruiting as it stands right now. As we turn from June to July, can it get better? Yes. Will it get better? It, it will get better, um, and July is going to be a, a, a good month uh, as far as you know uh, where, where targets are going. And Malik Bryant, Derek LeBlanc, uh, Peyton Kirkland, Trayon Webb, Eugene Wilson—that's so some names to look out for there uh, coming up here. Uh, that yeah, Florida is going to be in for uh, when you start looking at you know some of these targets. I do wonder, you know, what the targets look like. Uh, after July, we go in into August and, and, and start heading into the season um, and kind of go into Will's point, you know, how how many commits does Florida have uh, going, going into the season uh, and how that changes things? If you're a big believer in, in the season's going to change some things there, you know, where does Florida sit going into the season? Because, look, I mean, there's some guys who are going to visit and take those visits while Florida's playing LSU and Florida's... Hosting Utah and, and Kentucky, so uh, you know where where's Florida at as far as numbers? How many spots do they have left? Because we have, look, I've put it up, you and we can start looking at you know where can it get better for Florida? And I think I still have it here, but I mean, Bill, I I think I sent this both to you guys, you know, the the list there, just a long defensive line. Florida's in good shape for a lot of those guys. I you mean, know, Florida's going to have a good defensive line class. This is going to be the best position group. I mean, I can already say that. But when we look at it, in Florida's going to, we're looking at December signing day or February signing day, you know, so you will start looking at positives that you can take. And, you know, but how many of those guys are on the board when Florida kicks off versus Utah? And, you know, some guys are going to wait, some guys are going to pop in July, some guys are going to pop in August. What does it look like when you go into the season when these guys are visiting? I mean, I, I think now just looking at it, I know we, we want a higher ranking of a prospect. We want to feel better about the players Florida's, Florida's bringing in. I'm also wondering you know, how, how many spots Florida's going to have once July and August are, are going in. And are you how selective can you be if you sit here and say you want to wait until the season, you want to see results on the field, how many spots can Florida sell with what we're seeing on the field?
2: Yeah, i mean I, I don't think that's i know people want to believe that if they go out and play really well on the field that that influences the recruits that they bring in and maybe it does one recruiter or a second recruit or something like that but at least from an overall class perspective that doesn't seem to impact things very much when i've looked at it in the past now, i haven't looked at it over the last couple of years but you know in 2018 i looked at this pretty extensively and said Look, it just doesn't seem to make that big of a difference. And and before we go there, and wait,
0: wait, before you go there, and, and maybe we can relate it to the past topic. I do think that can happen at quarterback. I do think the I think quarterback is maybe one position. If Anthony Richardson goes out there and lives up to the first round mock and the potential that we think he has, I do think there is a lot of question for how Billy Napier will use a quarterback. I think that might be one position. As you say, if you are saying, can it change one guy? Can it change two guys? Because I am like you, it doesn't make that much of a difference but i do think if we're going to look at the one or two guys that it can Anthony Richardson cuz that there and has a big season maybe some of these quarterbacks out there do take a second look at Florida
2: Maybe I mean, but again, I, I go back and I look at at Mullen, and if showing it on the field was going to translate into recruiting, we would have seen it there. Um, yeah. Richardson was not ranked in that top tier of quarterbacks coming in. I think once he got on the field, we immediately saw maybe he should have been. But you know, Emory Jones was rated at that point. Kyle Trask played for two years and was sort of an afterthought in a class that Jim McElwain put together. So, you know, from the standpoint of offensive success or just success in general convincing a quarterback that hasn't happened yet now maybe Napier is a much more skilled recruiter and is going to be able to use that to his advantage and be able to make that turn I,
0: there you go that goes to that goes to two points we were wondering okay well the organization everything that's better behind the scenes all right Maybe you compare that <laughs> with the results on the field. Like uh, I, I know I'm cherry picking. Uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate. The, you know, this to go out the, the other way. I've already agreed with you. There's too much research out there that says results on the field really show much. But maybe the results of all the organization and the army of staff pairing that with a successful season, maybe that is some kind of lightning rod to turn this. You know, to to to, to get some of those top guys out there.
1: Well, Florida had that moment when they beat FSU in 2005 as they were building myers legendary 2006 bump class uh and at the time they were like oh this is the wind that you know broke it over but really what you were seeing was the the late fall culmination of an overwhelmingly intense recruiting effort and so you know maybe we do see that breakthrough and people might attribute it to that if let's say they somehow end up beating Miami soundly after an optimistic season they go and play them in a December bowl game or something I, I don't know um but realistically kind of to will's point like if there was ever ever a demonstration of showing it on the field at a, at a specific position it would be like Mullen saying look what I did with Kyle Trask in 2020 and then they went out and signed Carlos del Rio Wilson and Jalen kit and maybe kitten is the next the next one like that I'm not knocking him I'm just saying but he wasn't like a highly sought after prospect
0: evers so, evers was in the fold as well well so so the, the, next other thing, class. Yeah, but, the other thing. Okay. Yeah, but okay. Go ahead, Well,
2: so the other thing I would say is that Meyer, by that August 1st deadline, only had three guys in his class. But those three guys were all top 300 guys, and one of them was a five star top 15 guy. So from the standpoint of the quality of recruit that he had, by the time August first came around, you went, okay, he's being selective because he's got three guys in the fold. But they're all guys who are you know, what we would now consider Alabama-level recruits or Georgia-level recruits. right? And so then you look at what happens at the end of the year, and yeah, he's got a lot of those guys on there. He ends up with 18 of his 24 total recruits in the top 300. You look at it the next year, he was 7 out of 10 in the top 300 by August 1st. And he ends up 19 of 28, so 68%. And then you look at Muschamp, it was the same thing, 8 of 12, and then he gets 15 of 22. And if you go into the McIlwain and the Mullen years, it ends up being much leaner on the front end and much leaner on the back end. So that's really, I think, where we need to be looking at over the next month or so, is who is Napier able to bring in? If he signs four or five more top 300 guys, and again, I'm thrilled that he's got guys like Nixon Gates and uh, or Nixon, Hill, and Denson who've come in because those guys fit that profile of top 300 guys. Now, they don't fit the profile of you know, top 15, and that's something that, that's going to need to improve as well. But it is starting to move in the right direction. So you know, this is one of those where I think I look at it and say what we really need to look for at this point is improvement on Dan Mullen's bump class and that's probably the best we can hope for coming out of this particular cycle. So let's set our expectations there, right? Which means 6th or 7th, a couple of five-star guys, some elite level talent and maybe the depth is a little bit is a little bit lacking and maybe the top end is a little bit lacking, but in terms of the quality of the players that are being brought in, there are some guys who do fit that profile like Bill's been talking about of being able to return multiple All SEC seasons. And then you look at that and go, Okay, now we need to build on uh-huh. that and see what happens. But to compare this to Meyer's class back in two thousand six where the floodgates open after the win against FSU, you know, the reality is is that there were not he didn't have an average player rating of eighty nine point three. When he was going into august he had an average player ranking of like 94.5 going going into going into going into august and then that just carried on through all the way through the class and and you see that repeatedly you see it when you look at Saban. you see it when you look at smart is where they are in august and september from a overall player rating perspective is where they finish up they might only have six seven eight guys in the class but when you extrapolate that out to 25 it ends up being basically the same quality of player the entire way there's not a lot of wiggle room by the time you get to august by the time the ball gets kicked off half of the classes have already been filled out and quite honestly the other half are sort of just enjoying the process but many of them have already decided where to go as well
1: and to be fair you know dave and i were talking about this too is a lot to expect napier to come in even with all he's done and to come in and just immediately hop back into an elite status in this in this context uh these are uncharted waters with nil i think everybody here would agree that there's at least some impact that uh, on these situations with rashada and and some of the guys they've lost that is originates right at the money point um so with that being the case I, i just I'm willing to say, okay, look. If we get to the end of the year and he, he doesn't have a top five, but the process looks good, it looks like the effort is relentless, and he hit, it shows like real significant progress. Like this doesn't look like a mowing class. It looks like they're fixing things. That this is paying some dividends, and they finish in that six to eight range.
0: <laughs> I don't want to see okay. reach, I don't want to see reaches on signing day of guys we know who are never going to get in this class.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I am I want to be reasonable. I just also have to be objective. Or, yeah. Because if I'm not going to do that on here, then I don't need to be on here.
2: Well, it also comes back to goals, right? I mean, I think this is one of the things that... You know, you can recalibrate in terms of what you want based on the level of player who's coming in. And like I said earlier, I said Auburn of the East, and that's kind of the goal associated with classes in this range, which means you're only going to get up and snipe Georgia every once in a while, which is why 2020 was so disappointing with that LSU game is you, you got everything to come together. You sort of got I think they had six all SEC players, which is sort of like the minimum, maybe five. But it was right around that minimum, Bill, where you've talked about what's necessary to actually win the sec they get georgia they're able to beat them on the wheel routes repeatedly they win that game you're going to the lsu game you win that and you end up getting to play alabama for the sec championship and everything everything is sort of cresting at the right time instead you lose that game to lsu you lose a close one to alabama where the clock management at the end was terrible you get blown out by oklahoma and things haven't really been the same since and the um I guess my point is, is that the expectations need to be that you're gonna have to build things slowly if you're gonna do things that way, yeah. um, which means you got to have patience with the on the field results. You can't panic if the on field results are not what Nick Saban had at, at Alabama or what Kirby Smart had at Georgia. It's not gonna be that way. So if you look up in two or three years from now, Napier's zero three against Georgia, we're all gonna sit there and go, "That's unacceptable," but that's kind of reality, right? And you're gonna jump. You're gonna have to snipe them a couple of times and be patient in order to win now again, I think you need to see sort of what what they've seen at Texas A&;m right I mean if if uh, if if Jimbo had brought in a class that was like ninth or tenth last year instead of first, people feel a lot differently about what's going on at AM because he keeps going eight and four <laughs> right? yeah. and you go eight and four eight and four eight and four with that one outlier in the twenty twenty one or the 2020 season where they go nine and one and you're bringing in classes that are ninth or tenth and I think people at A and would be getting antsy. The reason the noise quieted down at A and M is he just brought in what eight five stars in this most recent class, and so uh, Yoda says that's good. And
0: that uh,
2: <laughs> and that look, I mean, the the reality is, is four or five of those guys are going to be all SEC players just by the numbers who just came to A this year. Now they probably won't do it this year, but next year, or the year after, four or five of those guys are going to be all SEC players, which means you only have to supplement with a couple of other guys from different classes in order to have an elite national championship level roster and you know that that's that's the reality so um it's not that you can't get there i mean again i think jimbo fisher has kind of in some ways laid the groundwork for this Mm -hmm. but it has to be a continuous improvement over time and you're going to have to be patient it's going to be one of those things where the The rivals are going to be making fun of us potentially for going eight and four repeatedly. And you're going to have to say, we're building something here. We're being patient. And that's just a different goal and a different way of building than Saban and Smart have built. And whether that's the right way to build, whether that's an effective way to build, those are things I don't know. But again, I think the fact that the process is different gives me a little bit more confidence. You might be able to build slower um if if the process was bill was getting messages from recruits that they couldn't get the phone number of the coaches then you know <laughs> then i'd be concerned and we're, we're not hearing any of that sort of stuff
1: no and a couple thoughts on that first of all texas a&m just bought a lot of raffle tickets with very good odds you know they're, they're probably going to win a national championship i think about 80 percent of team or 85 percent of the teams that have had number one classes overall in the history of recruiting rankings have done it i mean there, there have only been a handful that haven't including florida back in 2010 um but here's the problem as much as like I know there's a lot of people right now and you're not one of these I'm not lumping you into that and they're like oh the fans are you know gonna drive recruits away and floor's got the worst fan base and when they when when the firing talk starts for a coach they say this is why we can't have nice things you guys chase off all the good coaches the reality is that it's not the fan patience that really matters at the end of the day and I think you're right I think you're absolutely right about what what you were saying. The problem is just like the bump class gives you that immunity for recruiting in that first full cycle, the inverse is also true. When you get to year four, the fans have probably very similar thoughts to the recruits. They're people, too. They're watching the same things we are, and it's not that the recruits are being influenced by us. They're looking at the resume of the coach who's had four years to win a championship and hasn't gotten it done. Just like you were, you have the immunity in year one. Think about trying to fend off negative recruiting after you've been there four years, and now Kirby Mart is saying, "Look at this guy. He's had four years to get done. He's never winning a championship. If you go to that school, you're never going to win. Come to my school." And so that becomes a problem, and it's just another stark reality of trying to win in the shark Think of the SEC. So I think you are right. I think about everything you just said. We've got to have patience if if it's going to go this route. Now we might have a clear answer beforehand, one way or another. Maybe we do start getting those calls or maybe he breaks through, makes history, finds a new way to win, because that's always possible. But the clock is always ticking from the moment you set foot on campus and the most important group of people that that impacts is the recruits.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, too, you know, because we've always talked about, you know, the, the instant success and history shows if you're going to win the SEC, you're going to do it early. That's just been history ever since. That you know, at least for Gator fans, when we want to go and date back to 1990, like we always have. If you want to win the SEC, you usually win it pretty early. what? was, what was the two coaches that haven't? Fulmer and, and Tupperville. Yeah.
2: Well, and and those aren't exactly the model the model of the program that we want right. to that we want to emulate, right? I mean, do we really want to emulate Elmer Fudd? Is that really
1: what we're going for here? <laughs> well, and they did it with a five uh, star quarterback and a top five class yeah and they they followed the pattern everybody else that they just got late however this reminds me as we were talking about earlier today not only do you have to win fast you have to find your quarterback fast uh, i went back today and looked at every new sec champion coach in the sec all the way back to 1990. back to when stallings won it with jay barker with his quarterback and i looked at when they got these quarterbacks and every single one of them either inherited their quarterback from the previous coach. Acquired their quarterback in the first two years, that being the transition class, the bump class, or a transfer quarterback. With the latest one being Joe Burrow coming in in Ed Orgeron's 2018 cycle, which was right after his second class, if you don't count the interim uh, time he had in that first season, and it was just after the bump class sign. So, unless Napier breaks trend, that means whoever he lands in this cycle at quarterback is going to. And join uh, Max Brown and Jack Miller and Anthony Richardson and Kitna and a couple of these other guys to say if he's going to get it done, history says it'll be one of these to rise up and lead his team to victory.
0: Sorry, just seeing the uh, the JUCO linebacker uh, that Florida had been. I think he was on campus this past weekend. Justin Jefferson committed to uh, Alabama. So, what, what? <sighs> <laughs> but um, yeah, somebody Sean Abel put it in the chat um, Raylan Wilson decommitted from Michigan the linebacker there so um, he'd be a great one yeah I think it's I know Georgia's gonna be in on that battle Florida's gonna be in on that battle um, I'll have to go back and look at more but I know that's kind of been rumored for a little while so uh, but uh, he does uh, finally commit from Michigan so alright hey, can,
1: can I offer a Homer opinion here like a sunshine pumping opinion real quick let's go I know that's rare, but um,
0: (laughs) this is another thing. All I want to
1: see, with the exception of in the trenches, we definitely need a very deep defensive line class as far as the big defensive linemen need to load up on offensive line. But there was a lot of people uh, really even up to the last couple weeks that when you're making their fan mock classes and talking about who they should land, they're talking about, oh, they need to land A.J. Harris and McLean, and probably Tony Mitchell too, you know, or at least two of those three. Give me one elite player at every position, group, and I'm great. Outside of the, the lineman where, you know, they've got some, some depth issues and you just need to load up year after year. But if you give me that one number one receiver, give me that one marquee back, give me that one five-star cornerback from Lakeland, give me a Raylan Wilson type at linebacker, I'm happy. Because if you do that, your class is going to be loaded.
0: There we go. I mean, there, and there's, there's a possibility uh, right now uh, for, for Florida on that. We've kind of yeah, mentioned the names there. So, so so something we should definitely be looking at. Uh, in the in the weeks And months ahead So um, In July You know Bill, Bill We've been here rumblings. Rumbling J- July is supposed to be a big month uh, A good month so We'll see where that goes uh, There for the Gators So I know we were a little over an hour Right now But we since we teased it We'll, we'll talk quickly about it Guys Demarcus Bowman uh, One of the five stars That Florida had on the roster uh, You know Transferred away from Clemson uh, Didn't do much there Comes to Florida Didn't do much at Florida now, we know all about the running back rotation last year and all the mismanagement there and, and all that, but goes to a spring practice uh, here at Florida. Uh, then right here in June, announces he's going to transfer. Then not long after that, announces he's going to transfer uh, to UCF. So, we will start with you. Um, how do you think this affects Florida? I don't, I don't you know, overall, and I mean, losing to Marcus Bowman, how many wins is that? How many wins is he worth? I don't I don't you know. I think I uh, try to put that value on a lot of players. It's a lot about accumulation. I don't know if Florida's record's any different this coming up season if if the Marcus Bowman's in the backfield. Florida's got a deep backfield, Florida's got a lot of options there, but still right here does do lose that home run potential uh, that the Marcus Bowman could potentially bring.
2: Yeah, I mean it's one of those things where you look at it and Montreal Johnson gets brought in. Lorenzo Lingard sounds like he sort of, you know, at least wrestled away the starting job there in in spring practice, and then, you know, pulled a hamstring while he was out, while he was out there in the field during the spring game. But you know, Bowman was at least going to be third on the depth chart, maybe even fourth behind Naquan Wright, especially when you consider how good of a pass catching back Naquan Wright is. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be the fourth guy on a roster like that either if I was if I was DeMarcus Bowman. Now, the place where I think you'll miss him the most is I would have guessed he would have been able to make a real contribution on special teams. Returning kickoffs, returning punts, those sorts of things where a guy with home run potential, get him the ball out in space. That's not something Florida's had over the last couple of years. I mean, Xavier Henderson can do that, but he has not proven and he's been very Consistent back there, right? But he hasn't proven to break, um, you know, significant runs, or it's not Brandon James back there catching the ball, I guess is my point. So, you know, that was maybe the place where I really thought Bowman might be able to differentiate himself is on special teams. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, again, it all the hype for Bowman based on his high school tape is justified, but any hype for Bowman at this point based on college tape is, yeah. is there isn't any. So, so what do you do with that? You look at it and say, look, if he's not winning the job in practice for whatever reason, then, you know, I, I think we lost our third or fourth string running back. That makes a difference. But if it wasn't Demarcus Bowman and his five-star pedigree, we'd say, oh, okay, like, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Right. And I think that's sort of where we're at. It's like, we oh, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I, like I kind of said, is I'm, I'm starting to detach myself from the, the, the loss, I guess you would say, or the, I don't want to call him a bust. I mean, he may have a successful career, but when you don't get the expected return, now, this guy's with the transfer. And as you guys know, I've been hesitant to uh, equate the uh, potential added value on an apples apples basis between five-star transfers and five-star high school signees. Um, but they're just not all going to work out you know and i mean sure he led the team in uh yards per carry i think with 5.8 yards per carry but he had 14 carries you know he didn't have a touchdown didn't have a reception last year it's just it just didn't work out and, and i think we all knew there was a chance of this i know we a lot of people were optimistic because he is a former five-star coming from Clemson. Uh, but you had to know that this wasn't a sure bet when he left his first program it's just the way it goes.
0: Yeah, as I said, you know, for Florida, you, you look at it, what what it does for this for this team now. Uh, and as as Will said, yeah, you, know, you can make the case he was fourth on the depth chart. I mean, the staff, from what I can really tell, really likes Naquan Wright, even though he was limited, very very limited in spring. Uh, very high on Lindsay Lingard and what he did. And of course, they're high on Montreal Johnson because he was at Louisiana with him last year uh, and, and brought him along uh, with him now at, at Florida. Uh, now you, you got ETN coming in for this class as well, so you know that if numbers numbers are not going to be an issue uh, for Florida this coming up season at the, at the running back position, and you know, maybe he just wanted uh, to go out there and get some more playing time. He was buried on the depth chart, or at least going to be sharing a lot of carries <laughs> with these running backs. So either way you look at it, when you are at least going to go four deep, if if you're if you're Demarcus Bowman, you're thinking all right, we're going at least going three or four deep uh, w- with me right here. You know, it, it's not uh, you know. Maybe I won't necessarily say maybe it's a good thing for Florida, but, you know, maybe it's a good thing for, for, for Bowman to go get another fresh start. And look, if he lives up to that five star potential, he's going to go and dominate <laughs> UCF uh, in the schedule that they play. He'll be a difference maker uh, right there for UCF and one that I don't think should take too long to see.
2: I mean, the other thing is, is that he committed to Dan Mullen, right? I mean, he committed to yeah. that offense. He committed to Dan Mullen. He didn't commit to the scheme. He didn't commit to Billy Napier. And I don't think we should be surprised when Napier comes in and they're going, to be, um, they're going to be players who either his system doesn't fit or as a coaching staff and from a personality perspective, they don't fit. And, you know, it sounds like that might be what happened here is it's, you know, Bowman loves Gainesville, loved his time there. And at the end of the day, it wasn't a good match between him and the staff. And that's okay. Right? I mean, you're going to have that sort of attrition. It's just that Bowman came in with so many bells and whistles when he decided to transfer in from Clemson that everybody knows who he is. If it had been, you know, if it was a four-star running back who was ranked like 325th, we'd be like, okay. Like, you know, that happens from time to time. Right? I mean, honestly, if it was Naquan Wright who was transferring to UCF, what what would our opinion be? Um, and that's kind of where I, I look at this and I agree with you bill that when someone when someone goes to a program gets just a few carries and then decides to transfer essentially was it in the middle of the season that he transferred from Clemson um, you know when, when that sort of stuff happens I, I don't think that the five-star rating at that point is necessarily the appropriate um, the appropriate thing not just because he transferred but because you lost a year right so when you think about development you think about those multiple all SEC um seasons that you get from a guy at some point you know if you're a transfer into a program you're basically even if you're elite you're one sec season and then out think about a guy like jonathan Grenard. Right. He comes in, makes a huge difference, was a big deal on that 2019 team, but he's gone after a year because he transferred in. And that's really the the danger, but also the opportunity in the transfer portal. And, you know, we haven't talked about that at all tonight, but that is one of the things that I think we're probably going to end up having to see Mm -hmm. is that the transfer portal is going to be an opportunity once Napier kind of sees where the holes are and that maybe is where the showing things on the field makes a difference and something where we don't have a lot of data right that if you can get the wins on the field if you can show how you're going to use say a tight end right is is it possible then for you to get the tight end an elite tight end who's not happy somewhere to come into your program and give you a year or two and be able to sort of cobble together those elite performance and that cluster of elite performances that Bill was talking about. Maybe it's not the way people have traditionally built winners, but you know, we're in sort of a completely different era now without guys having to sit out and that sort of stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see as that moves forward.
1: Yeah. Maybe Gilbert has a couple more transfers left in him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He might've stayed if he knew Napier was going to be there. Right.
0: (laughs) You know what? And I mean, we, we didn't necessarily talk about it when you know, Florida missed on Rashada. You know, we talked about where do you go down the board for, for quarterback recruiting, and Transfer Portal is definitely going to be an option there because that is the one position where a guy who is highly recruited goes into a situation, may not be quite ready as a freshman to unseat somebody, and then just decides he doesn't want to wait. And that guy can still be pretty good uh, and go down and, and go to another school in uh, there. So I think, you know, there's uh, and there's going to be some value there, but. You know, there's a lot of history that we just don't have to go by, as far as transfer portal. Just because now it's just there's so many players there that it's just hard to 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 know how that's eventually going to turn out. Look, it's a lot like the NFL. I think we all know. Everybody says you build through the draft, you supplement through free agency. That's still going to be the case in college football. You're going to breadwin by going and getting your high school recruits. And then filling in the rest free agency. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, even that's free agency now, I guess. Have to Good point. And then the transfer portal, which definitely is a former free agency right now to supplement, yeah. to supplement your high school roster.
1: Yeah. I, I, that's my suspicion anyway. And I'm, I'm actually planning later this year to really start diving into the, the portal and, and finding out what we can learn because we do a few years of data now and, they're certainly starting to show up in higher frequency among the all-copers rosters. Yeah, uh, which is essentially like a top fifteen percent of the league uh, performers. So,
0: and there can't be I difference makers. A, I mean, there's a lot of difference makers out there, but you're sure. not you're not going to go get. You, look, USC is going to be a very very interesting case study coming at issue with Lincoln Riley because he raided the portal. And coming in now, granted, he's got the also he's got also got the benefit of bringing his quarterback from Oklahoma and a lot of fami- a lot of familiarity. Uh, but that's going to be a, a very interesting case study of how USC uh it goes early on with Lincoln Riley and the effect of the transfer portal.
1: Well, here's the unfortunate thing is that I think the SEC will be the one place you can't get away with that and shoot right to the top of your conference, and that's just like with recruiting, it's just so competitive and there's so much talent, such good coaching. I just don't think you have that luxury, but in in the pack, whatever they are, and in the big whatever they are,
0: I I think it's possible. Well, good point. Being in the Pac-12 does have a really good effect. Yeah, because put this same USC roster with all the transfers right here in the SEC. Yeah, I don't think he's having a successful season, but he may have well shot himself up to the best team in the (laughs) Pac-12 with all the transfers.
2: Well, and, and it's, inter- it's interesting, Bill. The point you made earlier about having to open your wallet and having to keep taking those shots—I um, think about a guy like Spencer Rattler, yeah. right? Somebody who was a five-star, big-time pedigree, had a had a good season his freshman year at Oklahoma, fell off a little bit more than anything was inconsistent. It wasn't that he necessarily wasn't talented, um, whether or not there were some attitude issues and other things, or depending upon what rumors you believe um, out there. But now he's at South Carolina. South Carolina just got a quarterback that they would not have been able to get through high school, right? But because he struggled a little bit at Oklahoma, they are able to bring that guy in. Those guys are going to be available. Think about Auburn, right? Auburn's the example that we give when we look at those teams that, that did not recruit at a truly elite level and still were able to win a national championship. Well, Cam Newton, <laughs> God, I would have loved to have seen him in a Florida uniform <laughs> for multiple years, right? But a guy like Newton has some issues, goes to a junior college, ends up transferring back. Those guys are going to be guys who are in the portal. Those sorts of things, are those opportunities are going to open up. And look, if you get a year of Cam Newton, and you can pair that with a guy like nick Fairley, and you can surround him with good but not great talent that elite quarterback has the opportunity to take you where you need to go and you know it's funny dave maybe a month month or so ago i think we were talking about do we actually want anthony richardson to have a good year this year <laughs> like do we want him to show just enough that we're confident and then have that hey he's definitely a top 10 pick season in 2023 because quite honestly, that's when all of a sudden the roster situations and the depth and some of the new guys are going to make some contributions. And maybe you have some five stars who can come in and make an immediate immediate contribution a la Tebow there in 2006. And you, know, you start figuring, how do you piece that stuff together? And one of the things that can paper over some holes is an elite quarterback. And so I'm sitting here, and it sounds really weird to say, and I don't like saying it. And I'm going to be rooting for Anthony Richardson the whole year. But in some ways, him being inconsistent to where he needs another year might be a good thing from a timing perspective if you think that he has the capability of potentially being that Cam Newton type guy who can carry you the same way Newton did Auburn.
1: Just got a franchise tagging for a year and four years.
0: <laughs> redshirt him. Easy. <laughs> there you go, Will. He's going to have a great uh, first four games and it's going to be like, all right, redshirt, I'm, I'm getting you back next year and then like a a one-year 30 million dollar nil deal
1: well
2: yeah that that is an interesting point right i mean and we haven't talked about that at all is that the amount of money that seems to be flowing around at this point makes it to where like that decision of whether you go to the nfl or whether you stay is going to start to get flipped a little bit i think in some capacity because you know the, the nil deal at least that was sort of given to the athletic they were it was sort of tiered you know it was eight million dollars i think was the number and everybody got sort of saw that eight million dollar number but it was tiered and it was designed to make someone stay for three years to collect the eight million dollars so you get a quarterback who comes in has an elite year and you want him to come back there's no reason that the a collective can't come in with an nil deal and make it worthwhile to a point where hey you know i might be a second or third round pick but I might be a first-round pick if I come back for a year, and I'm not risking anything because essentially I already got paid through NIL enough money that it's life-changing money, right? That that the second or third-round pick, it's kind of equivalent in terms of the amount of money that you're going to get, and so you don't have to you don't have to take that shot. So um, it's going to be that's a completely different dynamic that you know yeah. none of us have thought through just because it hasn't existed in terms of necessarily keeping people at school. I think all of us assumed that the money was going to have some impact on the way recruiting worked. I think the the total amount of dollars that and granted I think they're kind of inflated the numbers that are being flown around being thrown around at least publicly, but you know, the total amount of dollars I think are larger than people thought they were going to be. And so, you know, that that changes the calculus when you start thinking about elite elite players, elite prospects are they going to come back?
1: Well, I mean, you got higher learning education um, excuse me, higher learning organizations that are making crazy tax-free money <laughs> from TV deals. <laughs> you know, I guess it's tax-free. I'm assuming it is. It's just a matter of time before that starts to trickle down into this NIL game. And well, like you said, it could start to become a factor that puts a dent on these NFL departures, even for elite prospects in some cases.
0: Yeah, I got, I, I got that question from Gators Breakdown Plus members. Was, I was doing a Q and a episode this week, and that was pretty much one of the questions there is – Anthony Richardson could he come back even with a good season because of NIL? I still think you go to the NFL, safer money. <laughs> Those contract five year deal, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. First Trump, yeah, you got yeah, a deal. yeah, yeah. There you go. So, uh, again, the injury part goes into it as well. Probably a lot more guaranteed money as well on the NFL side of it. There's different ways to think about it, but uh, I, I do think I, I do think there will be some storylines that go along with. Can you get somebody to stay because of NIL? Well,
2: I, well, I actually have an article coming hopefully later tonight It's going to be talking about um, you know, sort of the impact of NIL and how I think that's changed the landscape a little bit. Like I thought that when Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC that that was going to be the start of maybe a super league that was going to try to break away and mm-hmm. those sorts of things. But I think that – The NCAA's act or the programs have actually found a better way. You know, you mentioned that tax free TV money. None of that's trickling down to the players right now, Bill. And if you think about how those administrators are compensated. It's kind of based on how much of that money comes in. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, maximizing revenue is the goal, not necessarily winning on the field. And it's interesting to see. I, I do wonder whether the NIL is going to change that a little bit in terms of, you know, we've already seen it with the NCAA not enforcing its NIL rules, basically sending out sternly worded memos anytime they feel like somebody is sort of running afoul. Like they're trying to avoid any sort of litigation like the plague. And there are reasons for that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't the last
1: SEC TV deal, like three billion dollars,
2: three hundred million a year, man. That's the crazy thing is they made seven hundred and fifty million dollars or seven hundred seventy million dollars in revenue last year that got distributed amongst the schools. So it was like fifty-six million dollars that got distributed every school, all the fourteen schools. And when that kicks in, they they will go over a billion dollars in revenue just because the TV deal is going to take them up to that point because it's going to be two hundred fifty million extra over what they were making with CBS. So, you know, you think about that on a percentage basis, and all of a sudden, you know, eight or nine million bucks to a player doesn't sound like that much.
1: So here's the question. How many attorneys nationwide are sitting there right now plotting about getting in the ears of the players to either unionize or Uh demand a share? Quite frankly, I don't blame them. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just a matter of time, in my opinion.
2: But it's a question of how long can you hold that off? Because as of right now the schools are, are having their cake and eating it too, right? The players are getting paid. And so the players are less likely to bring litigation. And the schools are not having to make the payments, right? Someone else is raising that money to make those payments. And so, it's you know, I, people for 25 years have been talking about how the players need to get paid. And it took Brett Kavanaugh saying the NCAA is not above the law for NIL to come around and actually start to, um, you know, start this process, how much long... And you know that's, what, 10 years after the Ed O'Bannon case where, mm. that made our NCAA video game go away? Uh. And so you, think of, <laughs> so you think about like the progress. It's slow. <laughs> so if you're an administrator who's 55 years old, and you have the option of pulling the green light on, yeah, let's collectively bargain with these players, or, now nah, let's milk every last dollar we can get out of this oh, in like, be a decade. Mm-mm. So, you know, from the standpoint of, like, it, it, it's really... I think I tweeted at Darren Heitner, he had something about, you know, the NCA needing to enforce its rules when it came to NIL. They don't want to enforce their rules. You enforce your rules, you're welcoming that lawyer that you're talking about, licking his chops, getting someone to bring some sort of lawsuit about restraint of trade. And now you're stuck in a situation where, um, <laughs> where you're opening up those coffers. Nobody wants to open up those coffers. So they're not going to – so it's funny. The NCAA can keep releasing these memos about how they're going to enforce this rule. They're not going to enforce the rule.
1: Heck no, man. I even read an article that was very eloquent several years ago that said the NCAA really didn't ever want to stop the cheating. They wanted to keep it out of visibility to keep players from understanding their their, uh, market value. Because if you establish your market value, it becomes easier to say, hey, look, I'm an employee. And they could challenge their amateur status. Well, that cat's out of the bag now. Yeah. Dominoes are falling.
2: Well, except, except, again, if you look back, if you look at this, they're essentially freelancers. The NIL is like a piano player who takes money to do a concert at the concert hall in mm-hmm. Gainesville. Right. The University of Florida doesn't owe that piano player workers comp, doesn't owe them health insurance, doesn't owe them pensions, doesn't owe them, you know, long term disability or any of that stuff. Right. Once you have an employee, once you have collectively a bargain, collectively bargained um, negotiations, all of a sudden, those things come into play as well. Think about where I work, like, yes, I make a salary, but there is a multiplier for my salary that has to do with all the health insurance, all the disability, Mm -hmm. all the workers comp, all that sort of stuff. And those things cost real money. And as of right now, they don't have to spend any of that, so there's an incentive to keep this structure in place. So. Yeah, but well, you're an exotic dancer,
1: so it's a little different. You know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's coming on the read reaction YouTube channel later tonight, folks.
1: VIP. You know, but I, you know, don't you guys think that that's ultimately where we're going? I mean, this whole nil thing feels like the last resort to keep that disconnection from employee status
0: to me. At I that point, it's a, a matter I, of time. I, I think so, but at that point, do they even have to go to school anymore? Are they student athletes? No, but
1: and the thing is, it's hard to feel sorry for these universities when they're signed three billion dollars. Oh yeah,
0: dollars. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not. Yeah, that, that side <laughs> of it. No, yeah, that that's part of it. I'm just saying. You know, there is a because they're going to bring the house down uh, for sure. I think that's like, like we always there. say. Out of an 85 man roster, how many of them are make how how many of them are making it to the NFL?
1: Not many.
0: Exactly. So there still has to be a university, school, academic side to this. There has to be.
1: We may have our chance to play football at UF.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or just, uh, or, or just go ahead and admit that you know these guys are done after college, quote unquote college football. You can't call it college football anymore if they're if 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 they're not football out. played at the college.
1: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> at UF football. <laughs>
0: oh man. Oh, good one, guys! I know it, it, uh, it went pretty long there, but uh, I, I might as well just go ahead and say hey, it's going to be an hour. But we always know it's going to be an hour and a half when we we. We're hey, we,
1: passionate people. We, we have can. things to say.
0: That's right.
1: Yeah, and by the way, I did. If anybody was wondering what Will was talking about, I was letting my Yoda visit the screen. I always do that on the show. I don't know if you'll ever notice that.
0: So, if you uh, when when Yoda was mentioned by Will, if you're not watching the YouTube version, you'll have no idea. <laughs> Well, why Will brought it up, but Bill? Oh, here, hold on, Bill. Let me full. Let me full screen. There you go. And then, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, this was my one as a kid. This was my really. Fire Strikes Back, Yoda. When I was a kid, it's the only one I got. Like my only little Star Wars toy. It's a puppet.
0: A lot of people don't probably probably know I'm, I'm a Star Wars nerd. So is Bill. Me too.
1: I don't, yeah, he sits on my desk.
0: I'm not sure my Will's kids. the biggest Star Wars nerd as you and I, me and you are.
2: No, I have four kids. I don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to survive not blowing my brains out when I hear the the Coco
0: Melon song for the 45th time.
1: Get them on Disney Plus, man. There's lasers and monsters.
0: Get your kids he's into Star not, Wars.
1: He's not two yet,
2: man. It's the the little guy is uh the the little guy. Put it this way, Elmo makes him quiet. So that's that's the. There we, I
1: understand, buddy.
0: Star Wars makes me quiet. <laughs>
1: I still hate the last year I by the way but I want all the new stuff. Hey hey
2: all all the uh all the criticisms aside oh man I'm so excited for Utah. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. that's going to be so much fun. Like yeah. you know again it's it's the the Molin era had sort of run its course. I'm excited to see this new stuff coming up and you know you mentioned Bill Napier's trying to run an offense that's different than the other folks in the SEC and there were plenty of people who looked at uh looked at Spurrier and said, oh, that'll never work here and looked at Meyer and said, oh, that'll never work here. And so I'm, I'm curious to see where the buck in the trend really gives Florida an advantage in a lot of different places. And, and uh, you know, we aren't playing Eastern Washington game one. So, you know, for all the different criticisms and all that sort of stuff, it's it's just we're only a couple of months away from real football, guys. It's it's getting exciting. Man, sneaking up on us. I know.
0: That's uh, they say we're, we're going to hit football next week, preseason magazine talk. But I just got my email today. Hey, David Waters, you're ready for ST Media Days, and I was like, "Yeah!" So there we go. I mean, it's 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 football. It's football time. But uh, man, um, speaking of Utah, um, I can. Go, I haven't put out an official announcement or whatever, but I'll be giving away two tickets to that one for uh, Gageville. Pro- <laughs> Dang it! I got about two more now. Um, hey, the, <laughs> the raffle tickets are uh, are rigged, guys. Don't. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, that goes, just keep buying. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Well, I'll be giving away to uh, to Gator Breakdown Plus members, so um, that'll be uh, that'll be coming up in the in the coming month or so. So going to go ahead and put. It, I'm not giving them away. Like I'll, I'll I'll choose a winner, but you're not getting them to like the Thursday or Friday of the game because I don't want somebody selling them and they're not a Gator fan or anything <laughs> like that. Uh, so you know, I'm going to give you very little time to get rid of them if if you win them. So once you accept that you want them, you're not getting them to like the Friday before the game.
1: And do they have to show up at Harmonic Woods and take care of uh, all the shenanigans that go on there? Well,
0: hopefully they do anyway. But everything's digital now, <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> I have to just send it to them. <laughs> well, I think you plan on being in for.
2: I am coming. I am in negotiations with my wife to bring my seven-year-old to his first game. So uh, that—that's—that's that's the hope. That's why I'm excited about it. He's been asking now for for about a month, and I was like, "Well, we'll, we'll see. If he keeps asking." Then uh, you know we'll do it. So we're about to pull the trigger on plane tickets here in the next day or two to get down there, and uh, it's Labor Day weekend, so we have an extra extra day to sort of hang out while we're down there. And uh, it'll be his first game in the swamp, so I'm excited.
1: I think I'll be down too, but we'll see. No, you know, work is always a challenge. Yeah,
2: there so we go. We'll see. We'll, we'll. I'll have to make sure I have soda in my cooler for the little guy for when, <laughs> for when we're doing for when we're doing thunder.
0: <laughs> uh, and then. um Negotiations. We'll get uh, Michael Caspino on the on the line, and uh, maybe he can then shout out on Twitter how unorganized we are. Saul
1: Goodman. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. I that that's been weird. Like, I'd be so pissed off if I was a if I was a recruit and all of a sudden found my NIL deal in the athletic. Yeah. Like that just that that would not sit well with me. So
1: I, I don't know. I'm gonna say this right but, I, now. There was purpose behind that little shady through it, Flora, and I don't think it was just frustration. I think that was a shot across the bow to try to get his way in the future.
0: Mm. It was a weird situation for sure. I was—I don't uh, think
1: it's gonna work. <laughs>
0: he won't, i mean, hey guys, I, I could have had him on the—he could have been here with us. He could have been our fourth guy on the podcast. He, he messaged me wanting to come on the podcast. I didn't even respond to him. So, but
1: what a, what a weird thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right, well, all right, we're kind of rambling on here, but there we go. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. Bill, Will, anything else?
2: No. <laughs> no man, ready for some football.
0: <laughs> yep. Speaking of football, let me throw it up one more time. If you haven't got to check it out yet, guys, there you go. Will Miles Nick Newton, preview magazine out there. I'll do it again next week while we do the Athlon Lindy's preseason magazines. But uh readingreaction.com slash mag if you uh if you're uh, hey look, if you're if you're tired of recruiting, there you go. You just Buy this, get the PDF, read all about football, but we'll be football heavy uh, starting next week on uh, right here on Gators Breakdown. But Florida Gators Preview Magazine right there from Will and Nick, Readingreaction.com slash mag. All right, that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. For Will, for Bill, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.